0: Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is always Oscar season.
1: I'm Mike. And I'm Brian. In this show, we reevaluate every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century, And Decide whether to keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal. And
0: this is our first episode of 2001, Brian. Another year. I'm looking forward to uh, moving ahead with you, but I just want you to know that um, I will podcast with you until my dying day.
1: (laughs) That was going to be my ending joke.
0: (laughs) Come up with something else, buddy. Come on. In 2001, the nominees for Best Picture were Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, In the Bedroom, Gosford Park, A Beautiful Mind, and today's movie, Moulin Rouge, directed by Baz Luhrmann. Here's the trailer.
1: He entered a world where fantasy is real, where he could be anything he wanted, and where he would discover the most dangerous temptation of all.
0: Come and get me, boys. Diamonds are a Silly. I think you would fall in love with someone like me. I can't fall in love with anyone and make men believe what they want to believe. Never
1: I could feel like I believe in truth, freedom, and above all things love. Like I've never seen the sky. You're gonna be go bad for business. I can tell. Roxanne! I am willing to provide the financial resources to make you a star. You don't have to the I require a contract that binds Satine to me exclusively. He could destroy everything. I don't care. We have each other. Make Christian believe you don't love him.
0: He'll fight for me. Hurt him.
1: Hurt him to save him. Whatever
0: happens, no matter how bad things get, we love one another. Kill the boy.
1: This story is about love at the Moon Rouge. <laughs> First movie musical in 10 years to be nominated. Yeah, for Academy that's Award. pretty cool. What was the most, what was the one before that? 1991. Uh, Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Does that count as a musical if it's animated?
0: I think so. I mean, I, so I guess too. all of Disney's movies would be musicals then, or most of them.
1: Moulin Rouge was also nominated. It won Best Art Direction and Best Costume Design by Catherine Martin, who is also the director's wife. Catherine Martin. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress, Nicole Kidman, Best Cinematography, Donald McAlpine, Best Film Editing, Best Makeup, Best Sound. Um, it was snubbed for Best Director and Best Original Screenplay, which is an outrage to some.
0: Best Original Screenplay, that's not yeah, an outrage. I don't think so. But, but Best Director, maybe.
1: The directing was quite astounding in this movie in, in some moments. Um, Catherine Martin also, by the way... She's married to Baz Luhrmann. She was nominated for The Great Gatsby and Romeo Plus Juliet. Mm. What I, I'm calling it plus <laughs> Romeo Plus Juliet. Yeah, more modern. <laughs> um, coming up in the show, we'll offer our golden takes. We'll talk trivia. We'll do listener comments. And the big reveal, will you keep it or kick it from the top five?
0: But first, let's do our Farley Awards, Brian. Let's the most awesome directing and writing moments. I want to hear your best directing
1: moment. My best directing moment is Satine is in Christian's arms. This is at the very end. Okay. And the camera lifts above them. And it just keeps on, and you see the white and the red rose petals. You see these shadows. It's really asymmetric, kind of like really, you know, strange image. And the camera just keeps lifting up higher and higher into the rafters. You see these guys who are, you know, stagehands looking at it. It goes higher and higher, and you see now over the curtain, all the everyone cheering. And then it keeps on going higher and higher to the point where, okay, this is no longer a real camera. This is like just a... Um, I don't know a mirage of of what a camera could actually do, but it, then it goes above, soars above the city, and it goes right into Ewan McGregor's bedroom, where he's writing the uh, the the his play or yeah. his story. I thought that was a really cool long shot that takes advantage of what you can do digitally. So um, yeah, that's my best directing moment. Yeah. Although lots of crazy awesome edits, which I thought was was great yeah Uh, I'm gonna say broadly that my
0: best moment is the first number at the Moulin Rouge just because it's our it's our Mm -hmm. introduction and Kidman gets that awesome movie star intro you know I always love it doesn't get more
1: movie star than that it doesn't (laughs) I
0: love in movies when characters talk about a character before we meet them you know there are Mm -hmm. like whispers
1: like oh here she comes
0: they do it And Silence of the Lambs is maybe the big the best yeah uh, example of that The
1: Great Gatsby also directed by Baz Luhrmann later on is, is like that too.
0: yeah you really build somebody up but that first segment it's just it's so kinetic you know and it's sets the tone for everything that we see after. This movie is about excess. That's not just kind of its style. I think that's what it's about. And I think that's why it works, honestly. I mean, if if, if this were more restrained, I think we would worry too much about logistics. You know, huh. we, we would get in our heads. How and much does it work? I think it works. Enough to keep it? <laughs> Let's talk about that later, Brian. <laughs> uh, let me just read this quote from, from Baz Luhrmann, because I think it gets to the point of how this movie is kind of all about feeling and experience. He says, when I was in India researching *Midsummer Night's Dream, we went to this huge ice cream picture palace to see a Bollywood movie. Here we were with 2,000 Indians watching a film in Hindi, and there was the lowest possible comedy and then incredible drama and tragedy and then breakout in songs. And it was three and a half hours long. We thought we had suddenly learned Hindi because we understood everything. We thought it was incredible how involved the audience was, how uncool they were, how their coolness had been ripped aside, and how they were (laughs) united in this singular sharing of the story the thrill of thinking could we ever do that in the west it, it's great i mean i think that yeah. that's kind of spectacle it's, yeah it's interesting that that's where it came from but i think that that's just sort of the idea of getting rid of cool and just saying let's embrace enthusiasm is uh, a cool idea
1: I, I agree let's hear your
0: best writing moment
1: my best writing moment is um when satin played by nicole kidman says i can't fall in love with anyone and this, that idea, um, you know, she's the only character in the movie, I think, who's really complex. And that is really the center of her attention of, as a character. She has the only real decisions in the story. And her shifting loyalties are really compelling. And that was, that's a line that kind of embodies that to me. How about you?
0: I'm going to keep it simple and say, come what may, it's the only original song in the movie. And Brian, this song was played at my wedding
1: was it really? it
0: was my At your wedding, my wife introduced me to this movie. She loves it. She would always sing along when that was when, so you
1: have to keep it, yeah, I because mean because of her that song the, this song
0: transcends the movie to me, I mean it, yeah it's it's you know it's come what may it's it's in my wife's voice, which is. Uh, you know, maybe not the greatest. (laughs) What? She doesn't listen to this show, Brian.
1: Don't worry. Okay. That's good. She doesn't listen. Fortunately. But what made this pick easy is
0: I I, I said before, I don't think that this is an especially great written movie. It's, it's all visuals and momentum. It's not supposed to be, you know, subtle turns of phrase and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, revealing character in small ways. This is all about bigness to me anyway.
1: Let's do our golden takes.
0: Golden takes. All right, go for it.
1: To evaluate this movie, we have to choose whether its experiment worked. Are we left feeling overwhelmed by the spectacle to the point that it drowns out the emotion of the characters? Or are we left thinking about love and tragedy? And a lot of critics were very divided on that point specifically. Peter Travers, the great, always the immortal Rolling Stone critic, said in 2001, does Lerman think that hammering us with power ballad cliches will make us feel the emotions that once grounded them. I left Moulin Rouge feeling something all right. I felt mauled. <laughs> That's a great Peter Travers takedown. Um, so he obviously did not feel, he felt that the spectacle overwhelmed it and you know, didn't feel anything. Margaret A. McGurk from Cincinnati Inquirer in 2002 wrote, Moulin Rouge fills the screen with wit and joy and sorrow. Untempered, By the dry, self-conscious cool of most modern films, its bravery alone earns rewards far beyond the price of its imperfections. So she saw that the spectacle built up to the emotion. And as we're talking about this, I'm thinking like the ultimate cool, which I think would be like Ocean's Eleven, that maybe doesn't have the heart to it um, as much. But I think this is... I, th- I agree with Margaret A. McGurk. She's going to become my favorite, you know critic now She's instead of hero. Peter okay. Travers. Um, <laughs> but the, it's it's a postmodern movie. And I think those elements are really done well. I'm not a big musical fan. So um to me, having long scenes of just purely the dancing and the singing, and with nothing to really look at beyond, you know, essentially looking at a stage, it wouldn't have worked as well for me. But it did work really well for me to have all of the strangeness of the postmodernism. One of the characteristics of postmodernism is that this idea that all the great stories have already been used up. So you can't just tell that story again. You have to, and be earnest about it. You have to acknowledge that you are using everything that's old. And I think that's the point of, you yeah. know, it was, it, I think it was a great moment. Ewan McGregor is singing the hills are alive with the sound of music as though he wrote that. Mm -hmm. I think that is this weird twist and it makes you think of the hills are alive with the sound of music in a totally different way. It's not a cliche anymore. You saw it fresh. And I think that it was a pretty magical um, way of using these postmodern, you know, elements in the story. Um, So I think that it did work. It did create this irony free zone where you could believe the love story And uh, even though I also agree in some ways with Roger Ebert, who said it's like being trapped on an elevator with the circus, (laughs) it did, I think, work and the self-consciousness made it succeed more than than not.
0: I totally understand feeling like this movie is a little bit too much of a barrage and that not working for you, but I also feel like... Because this is not a thinking movie, it's a feeling movie, it's easy to sort of be distrustful of our own reactions to it. And I read another critic I'll bring up, Elvis Mitchell from the New York Times. Um, he called this movie undeniably rousing. That sounds like a positive review. He said, there's nothing else like it. We're still positive. Sounds like it. <laughs> and he says, there's nothing else like it. And young audiences, especially girls, will feel as if they had found a movie that was calling them by name. And I I, that that quote's so annoying. I mean, <laughs> Elvis Mitchell, really smart guy. His, his podcast, In Treatment, super interesting, really good. But I just feel like this is kind of, we see a reviewer at odds with their own experience, right? Mm. It's almost like, I was roused, and I resent that this movie worked on me right. in some kind of way, because it's, I don't know, it, it seems like not meeting a movie on its level, you're trying to have it meet it on... I meet you on yours, and that seems like the wrong way to watch something.
1: Yeah, the one of the other critics was criticizing the movie for you know everything in it was appropriated from something else, but that was the whole point. It's a celebration. That's I mean, the point. Of, that, yeah,
0: that is that is the point of the movie to kind of steal those things and say this is a celebration of pop culture and the way that we we feel when we create and we um, consume these these pieces of culture. Yeah. Anyway, my golden take. Um, this is a continuation of Gladiator's a, a, a approach with CGI. You <laughs> laughed at me when I said that, <laughs> that Gladiator was a CGI landmark. Uh-huh.
1: This is doing the same thing that Gladiator does. This is a lot more of an obvious and maybe more impressive well, well, use of. Of it. course, it's it's taking it to the next step, but it's still a movie that couldn't
0: exist without that CGI. Definitely, and Gladiator was sort of using it to build the world. So was Moulin Rouge. Um, and in fact, Moulin Rouge was initially planned for release at the very end of 2000 in December, but then it was pushed. So I like the idea that like in 2000, we could have had both of these and it's like, boom, mm-hmm. CGI. Uh, but the trend has begun. We're going to get Fellowship of the Ring this year also. And that's another movie where, you know, we, the worlds are build with, com- built with computers. And then you look toward 05, you have Sin City. And 300 where then it brings it even further where everything in the world basically except for the actors right are just all made digitally so before you know we were using effects to supplement the worlds and now i think we're making we're using them to make it and that seems like we've changed especially since two years prior sorry one year prior the matrix didn't even get nominated and that was another special effects heavy movie so times are changing
1: 1982 E.T., doesn't that count? (laughs) Flying bicycles? I guess it does. I guess so. (laughs) Um, Trivia. Trivia time. My favorite moment, Nicole Kidman dropped out of high school. (laughs) You (laughs) love those high
0: school dropout stories.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, In 2001, Nicole Kidman was awarded Celebrity of the Year by E. She was named Entertainer of the Year by Entertainment Weekly and one of People Magazine's 25 Most Intriguing People. She's on a roll, you know. Nicole Kidman is, you know, she does the hours. She does the others soon, you know, coming up. Eyes wide shut, ninety nine. Yes. So she is really um, something else to see on the screen. And I feel like, uh, you know, you sort of are. I don't know. You're watching her become a star, and that that's one thing that makes this movie fun. Similar to, I think, watching Julia Roberts in uh, Aaron Brockovich. Hmm. Um, she was Nicole Kidman was originally cast as Mrs. Smith in Mister and Mrs. Smith. Ah. which totally, she could do that. Um, she made three point seven million dollars for a four minute Baz Luhrmann directed Chanel Number no. Five ad. Thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> That's great. Uh, a prenup with Keith Urban. Right, she's married to Tom Cruise for, ten, for you know several years, married to Keith Urban. So here's her prenup. Every year they're married, Keith Urban gets six hundred forty thousand dollars. <laughs> What? If he should relapse into drug use, it's null and void, and he gets no money. Ah, uh, okay. right? All right. Celebrity marriages. Yeah. This it, is much different from the arrangement that I have with my wife.
0: Yeah, they play by different rules. <laughs> the stakes are much higher.
1: She broke ribs as she was being tightened into an 18-inch corset for this movie. That's she dedication. Had, she had to film you know, some scenes in a wheelchair because she also heard herself dancing. Wow. Um, so, yeah, pretty. It puts
0: her body on the line.
1: Pretty crazy.
0: Did you see that in uh, 2016, the BBC, uh, they ranked this on their greatest films since 2000? Huh. Um, it was ranked
1: uh, 53rd. Huh. Pretty high. That is pretty high. Pretty high. Especially uh, for a. A Musical, I know. Come <laughs> seriously. on,
0: seriously. Uh, but also, Courtney Love auditioned <laughs> for the know. role of Satine, which I thought was really interesting. But that sort of helped Shoot. them get the licensing rights for Smells Like Teen Spirit,
1: yeah, which is a great moment in the movie. Oh, it's great! Super um, great. Catherine Zeta Jones was also a contender for Satine. Heath Ledger was a possibility to play Christian, uh, who went, went to you and, and DiCaprio. Lager. Yeah, DiCaprio, but he couldn't sing, so they kicked him out.
0: Well, I mean, Ewan McGregor can sing technically, but one of the things I like about this movie, I mean, Leo is couldn't
1: like it was bad, n- just not it. at yeah, all. He couldn't do but
0: it. I kind of like though that they're they're using their real voices in the movie, and you can tell, and it's raw, and
1: it's not perfect. It's not perfect. These are not singing stars. Yes. they're actors first, who can also sing enough to do the movie. But yeah, some of Ewan McGregor's moments are a little weak. But he also seemed so sincere. I think that which is what, what he about. does best as a as an actor. So um, Heath Heath Ledger was rejected in part because he he was seemed to be too young Hmm. to be a love interest for Nicole Kidman.
0: Okay. I can Um, see it, I guess. Yeah. So would you keep or kick this movie, Brian? (laughs) That's the big question.
1: (laughs) I loved the second half of this movie much more than I thought I was going to. Hmm. But I did not like the first half. Really? It's too silly for me. Every time uh, Toulouse Lautrec is in the movie and his whole group of four, uh, yeah, those are yeah. like Ugh. that's the most tiresome it's the cringeworthy. Part. Yeah, and the whole um, the scene where you know Ewan McGregor comes in and then the Duke comes in, the
0: misunderstanding scene,
1: that's ridiculous to the point where I just want to almost turn it off. So I have to kick it. Um, but the second half I thought was quite masterful and made me want to see it again. Honestly, I would watch it again even though I would kick it.
0: Yeah, that, that misunderstanding setup is is a pretty common one in so comedy, lame. and I think it it's always pretty bad. You know, some yeah. sitcoms can do it pretty well, but you know, one character thinks that they're it's there for one reason, the other one thinks that they're there for another, and it's, then hijinks. It's
1: been done forever, yeah. But
0: I will say that Nicole Kidman playing it so 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 big and ridiculous redeemed that moment for me because mm-hmm. then the joke becomes about. Her instead of about,
1: oh no, the Duke's in the room. And- the more I watch Nicole Kidman, the more I would watch her play any role pretty much. I she's mean good. I, I recently watched the uh, the others also um, yeah. and you know quite different roles yeah, but um yeah, she's she's got crazy charisma she does. Keep she's it a or kick star. it, Mike. I am going to keep it. Are you
0: really? I'm, 2001
1: I'm, is a stacked year. Here, well, here's the thing.
0: I haven't watched A very many 2001 movies yet. So you're hedging. I am saying that this does does deserve consideration. <laughs> I'm saying, <laughs> but you
1: might kick it after in our 2001. Who's to say, two, Brian? I did it. For, I did it with Green Mile in for 99. For right now,
0: so. I'm going to keep it. Okay. But I I'm going to watch more movies in 2001. Mm-hmm. We're going to put on our on our Facebook page at Best Picture this. All the movies that we're going to watch throughout the month, you know, mm-hmm. are sort of other contenders that weren't nominated.
1: And if at the end of watching all those, I want to keep Moulin Rouge, then great. I don't need to do anything. But <laughs> but you might have to eat crow in 2001 finale season.
0: Yes. And I episode. might need to set it aside. And you know what? That's fine.
1: <laughs> but the it is so good in the last part that I, I will respectfully not make fun of you for keeping it. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) In the next episode, we talk about Gosford Park, directed by Robert Altman, written by Julian Fellows, who later wrote Downton Abbey. And you can see a lot of similarities if you've seen both. It's a story about a dinner party in an English mansion. All sorts of plot twists and maybe, just maybe, a murder.
0: I'm looking forward to it. I haven't seen that one yet, so I'm, I'm excited. So we want to hear from you. If you were making a murder mystery, who would you put in your dream cast? Think about that, Brian. Yeah. Who would you put in your dream on Who ensemble? would you want to be
1: killed the most? I don't just, <laughs> I think, I'm just going to
0: say Joe Pesci. He's number one.
1: <laughs> As the murderer. I don't know.
0: I mean, it has got to mis- be the murderer. It's a, it's a mystery. We don't know yet. <laughs> Joe Pesci, Nicolas Cage, Elizabeth Moss, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm going highbrow. I'm going lowbrow. Yeah. It's going to be a great cast.
1: Are you a Nicolas Cage fan?
0: Uh, Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, yeah for really sure. Like uh, Color Out of Space, Brian. Amazing movie. All righty. So you could find us at bestpicturethis.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Best Picture This. Thanks to WNZF and Mark Gilliland for producing. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or everywhere else you get your pods.
1: As you said, Mike, come what may, I will be your Best Picture This co-host until my dying day. Or at least until we run out of Best Picture nominees of the 21st century. <laughs> we don't want and to then, commit. you know, see you later. <laughs>